ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. G'day there, my name's Matt Brand. Welcome to the program. The Northern Territory Government has finally released its policy on taking surface water during the wet season. Now, what is this policy? What does it mean for farmers? What does it mean for fishers and the environment? We'll be talking about this soon. And which long-serving Northern Territory politician has just announced that she will not contest the next election? I wonder if you can guess who it is. All will be revealed very soon. A very busy country hour today. I hope you can stay with us. First up today, this is important. A tropical low has developed in the Gulf of Carpentaria, just south of Groot Island, and is expected to head inland near Borolula, tracking to the southwest over the next couple of days. A cyclone warning is now in place for Port Roper around to Burketown, with a 40% chance that the low will develop into a cyclone tomorrow. Shanna Gamble from the Bureau of Meteorology says the tropical low isn't expected to move too far today. Uh, Here's an update that she's just provided. During today we expect it to be fairly slow moving, um, taking a bit of an easterly track before slowly um, heading south over tomorrow and tomorrow evening and southwest towards the Northern Territory border. Yesterday we issued a cyclone watch for communities uh, between Port Roper and around to the Northern Territory Queensland border and this morning we've upgraded that now to a cyclone warning because we do expect for the impacts of uh, that system to be felt within the next 24 hours. So that's the communities from Port Roper around to the Queensland border, not including Nooka but including Borroloola. So heavy rain can be expected, particularly in the southern Gulf of Carpentaria, starting from today. We've already seen some pretty good rainfall totals associated with this monsoon trough and with the tropical low. So in Groot Island Airport overnight received uh, 120 millimetres of rain and we're already seeing some um, pretty strong wind gusts around the um, North Arnhem coast and in the Gulf of Carpentaria with um, 90 kilometre winds uh, being recorded at Cape West. So regardless of whether this system reaches tropical cyclone strength or the structure required for an actual tropical cyclone to be named, we do expect to have very windy and very rainy conditions. So communities within that warning area can expect to see um, gale force winds with uh, with gusts of around 100 kilometres per hour developing over the next 24 hours. As that system crosses the coast uh, during um, late tomorrow night or during Friday, um, it will quickly um, de-intensify, so it'll rapidly become um, a weaker system, but it will still carry the risk of strong winds and the risk of heavy rainfall. 
broadly speaking, as this system moves across the Northern Territory, around the base of the top end or across the Northern Barkley, Northern Tanami, we can expect to see fairly widespread rainfall of 40 to 90 millimetres, but close to that tropical low, we would expect to see 150 millimetres of rain in 24 hours. Um, and right around the centre, we could be getting 200 millimetres of rain. Um, some of that rain could fall in rather intense 12-hour um, bursts, so potentially 140 millimetres within 12 hours. So um, that can cause local creek rises, local river rises. It can cause damage to roadways, roads in particular that have already been impacted by some recent rain events. That is Shanna Gamble from the Bureau of Meteorology. And there's a number of other warnings that are in place this afternoon, including a moderate flood warning for the Waterhouse River, a minor flood warning for the Catherine River at Nitmaluk Centre, a flood watch for parts of Northwest and Carpentaria Coastal Rivers. There's a lot going on. The wet season is here, isn't it? We'll bring you more details throughout the afternoon here on the ABC, your emergency broadcaster. This week on Landline, the plastic problem plaguing agriculture. At the moment in Australia, we use around 40,000 tonnes a year of single-use plastic that we really don't have an ability to recycle. And growing sweeter melons with a surprising side effect. Citrulline turns to nitrous oxide, which is exactly the same effect that Viagra has on the body. That's Landline this Sunday at 12.30 on ABC TV and streaming on ABC iView. The longest-serving politician in NT Parliament, Kezia Purik, has just announced that she will be stepping down from politics. The former CLP member turned independent for the rural area electorate of Goida will not be contesting her seat in August at that next election. She was elected to Parliament in 2008 and served as Speaker under the previous CLP and Labor governments. Here is Kezia Purik speaking on Mix Radio a moment ago. Today I'm announcing my retirement from Parliament, from politics, and uh, as the member for Goida, I won't be contesting the election in August this year. Um, mixed emotions, of course, because I have just loved my job. It is a really, it's a job like no other, no other. You will get no job like this kind of job as a local member in the Northern Territory uh, Parliament. And uh, we've thought about it. I've thought about it for a long time with my partner. We've talked about it. And mm -hmm. if I was to stand again, that's a four-year commitment. And because I wouldn't just go in and then say, oh, I've had enough, I'll hop out of two years forcing a by-election. So I'm 66 this year, and I, I reckon I've done I've done my bit. It's time for someone else to step up. I'm stepping out. I've, uh, I'm just going away. I'm not going far, but it's just it's time. It's time for me, um, and it's time for my family. You know, they've all supported. We're all catching up after this. Mm -hmm. So, um, and we'll, we'll chat more about it. The member for Goida, Kezia Purik, announcing today that she will be stepping down from politics, will not be contesting the next election. Big news for the rural area. As I mentioned, she's been in Parliament since 2008. It is 24 to 1 and you are tuned into the Country Hour. The Territory Government has finally, finally released its surface water intake policy. Now, what is this policy and what does it mean for farmers, fishers and the environment? We'll talk about this next.
It is 20 to 1 and you are tuned into the Country Hour. Let's talk about water. Because the Territory Government has today unveiled its surface water intake wet season flows policy. So this is the policy that will now dictate how much water industry can take from Territory Rivers during the wet season. And it means the days of 80-20 are over. 80% for the environment, 20% for industry. That was the default setting in the Northern Territory. It has been for decades. It is now gone. Replaced with this new policy... Let's learn more about it. Uh, we've got Amy Dysart on the line. She is the Territory's Executive Director of Water Resources. Amy, what can you tell our audience about this new surface water intake wet season flows policy? Thanks for your time today. It is a is it a long time coming for this policy to come out? Well, we you said- and I were talking about the draft policy of this in November of 2022. Well, you know, we like to give plenty of time for consultation and involvement in the development of these things. Um, Look, you talked a lot about the existing policy of the 80-20. That is still there except for during the wet season. So what we know about the Territory is that um, during the wet season there's a lot of water and typically what's happened when people have wanted to get access to water is they've not needed it when it's raining. So it meant that we essentially have not had any licensing of water to be used during the wet season. So this policy gives us a good mechanism to allow water to be taken out during the wet season um, and stored for use during the dry season. Um, What we've done is we have reduced that amount of water from 20% of the water down to 5% of the water. So it just allows us with this new area of development that we haven't tucked in before, we started a conservative place and just allow, you know, a small portion. And that gives us the opportunity to track and manage and know what the impacts of taking that water out will be. There are some environmental groups who say this policy will allow business to take more water from our NT rivers. What do you say to that? Well, that is absolutely wrong. You know, without having any policy in place, we refer to our 80-20 rule. It means that we can take up to 20% of those flows. Um, it's, it's a signal of the government and our policy processes becoming more mature as we're able to distinguish between using water during the dry season, which is quite different to using water during the wet season. And this, this policy signals that improvement in our management strategies. So we're clear for our audience, businesses have been able to take water during the wet season, yes? Prior. Yes. Mm. They can, but we just practically didn't. Yes. I mean, why the, would you well, bother pulling it out and pumping it and doing those things when it's raining? Yeah. Um, there's, there's only, from what the country I can tell, there's really only a handful of examples. Yes. And this is, um, that is surface water, so what we are recognising is that we do have a large number of big river catchments across the Territory and we 
um, love and enjoy many of our weekends in those catchments. So this policy is about supporting that the as as we develop and grow and our water demands increase that we will need to look at options to tap in to those but we want to do it in a way that preserves the territory lifestyle so for industries that are interested in this what, what does this mean for them now how, how do they how do they go about it so they do exactly what they would do before um, they apply for an extraction water extraction licence with our licensing um, section here. They go through all the same processes. It just means when we're, you know, seeking information or considerations in that, we will turn to this policy about what's a suitable amount of water that would be taken from that particular catchment. The policy also points out, points us to making sure that within that catchment area, you know, what's the amount of water that would be available um, so there's elements in the policy that help direct that. It will also make sure that there are licence conditions for those licence holders that in dry years they won't be able to take water. We've right. done it also. So, so like we see already with farmers in the Catherine region, mm. each year they get their, their allocation and, you know, and it could be reduced if there wasn't enough water flowing through the Catherine River. Yes, Yes, exactly. They'll have what we call minimum flow requirements that'll be conditions on their licence. You know, if we do have um, a, a dry year, perhaps they won't be able to take that water that year. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, as the wet season flows recede each year, there's a point at which their, their take of the water will have to cease. As you mentioned, this has been allowed for so long and not many businesses have taken it up. Are you expecting that demand to change at all? Definitely not. I mean, there's still water available in groundwater systems. There's So while there's still alternative sources of water available, um, we expect that those would, you know, be fully used before you would turn to these sources. And the reason for that is simple. It's cost. You know, to take water out, when you don't need it, you're going to need to store it somewhere until you do need it. Um, so, and then you'd once want to be growing a, something that earns you a lot of money. Yeah, exactly. And also, you're going to want to have the infrastructure to support, you know, to hold that water. And you're pumping it once in, and then you're pumping it out later. So you can see there's um, there's constraints around. It's going to cost you more to use um, wet season water, so it will only be required where those other options and availability of water aren't there. Um, and so 80-20 gone, 95-5 now, the ratio. How did you land on 5% for industry? Oh, look, there's plenty of, um, you know, science across the world around how much development is too much development over time. Um we categorise, you know, a free-flowing river to be where less than 10% of the total flows have, have been interfered with. So that's why we conservatively set um, a 5% as a starting point for this policy so we can still ensure that we maintain our intact ecosystems doing the things that these rivers um, need to be doing. 
We appreciate your time this afternoon. Is there anything else that you'd like our audience to know about the policy that's finally been unveiled? Yeah, so the policy is supported by the interference with the waterway guideline and that's the the risk-based approach that we take to considering the infrastructure that would need to be um, supporting this take as well. Um, So it just gives everyone confidence that we realise and we'll be able to manage both any infrastructure that's constructed along with the amount of take that comes out of each of our catchment systems. Thanks for your time this afternoon. Appreciate it. No problem. Uh, that is Amy Dysart, who is the Executive Director of Water Resources. So the government has today unveiled its surface water intake wet season flows policy. Uh, joining us now is David Trovolo, who is the Chief Executive of the Amateur Fishermen's Association in the Northern Territory. Uh, what's your take on this new policy, Dave? Yeah, good afternoon, Matt, and good afternoon, listeners. Look, this is this is good news from the perspective that it provides a greater certainty and significantly more precaution uh, in water harvest and planning uh, for the Northern Territory. And that's good news for the rivers and it's good news for our fish stocks, especially like Barramundi. You were involved in, in coming up with this policy, yes, or, or had, a, had a say in it? Yes, yeah, look, um, absolutely. There was a, a fairly uh, inclusive uh, process run by the department. They got uh, all of us uh, key stakeholders in a room together a number of times, um, sort of banged our heads together and and uh, tried to get us to come up with um, some some compromise or a sensible position and, and uh, 5% um, of a dry year. Uh, it's much less than 20% of an average year, which is what the position was uh, effectively before. Uh, and this is a much better position um, uh, to, to be in, to be guiding um, our, uh, our uh, water allocations uh, going into the future. Um, it's not to say that there isn't more work to be done, but it is a very uh, positive development in this space and the biggest one we've seen for many, many years. To some groups posting online that this will allow more water to be taken from our rivers and dams to be built on floodplains... It sounds alarming when it's written like that. What's your thoughts? Well, I'm not necessarily sure that there was anything preventing that from occurring before, Matt, and I think that's that's the key message here. Um, without a doubt, um, the greatest certainty that it provides... I mean, I, I guess where maybe some people are coming from with that is everybody knew that the previous um, plan or the previous guidelines were not sustainable or realistic, and so there was always a, perspective, a potential for them to change. This providing more certainty, um, some people argue, may lead to more development. Um, we, we do know, of course, that um, people still need to make money and it costs much more money to harvest um, wet season water generally than it does to pump it out of the ground. So um, there will be trade-offs uh, with, with regard to, to that. Um, but in terms of uh, whether people could harvest surface water before, um, you know, we're talking before about 20% from a river. Now we're talking about 5% from a dry year across an entire catchment. Um, so it's a much more robust policy. Uh, of course, there is that caveat that a water allocation plan uh, could set alternative principles and set an amount that is above 5%. Yes. And we will, of course, be focusing our attention uh, on that area because that, does, uh, that, does, that is going to require ongoing work into the future. Under this Current plan, could the government fill Arrows, the Adelaide River offstream dam? 
Well, I don't think that's um, necessarily 5% um, of flow of a, of a dry year would allow the filling of that dam, you know, every year. Um, I'm not great with the maths on it, I'll be honest, Matt, but uh, we do know that the government has committed to um, uh, to begin planning for a, a water planning um uh, sorry, a, a water allocation plan for the Adelaide River catchment, and, and obviously that is related to it. They've also um, said they're stumping up seven million dollars for scientific research uh, into uh, sustainable yield for that plan. And um, if we're setting a benchmark, that seven million dollars of research is the kind of uh, level uh, a proponent would need to get to to exceed that five percent. And even then, uh, that would only lead to informing a um, an allocation plan developed by a, a committee, then that is, again, a much better place to be starting in than saying 20% of that water could be harvested uh, as a default position. Thanks for your time this afternoon. Thanks, Matt. As uh, Dave Tarolvo, who is the Chief Executive of the Amateur Fishermen's Association of the Northern Territory. I've got a statement here from Bruce Connolly, who is... Chair of the Northern Cotton Growers Association. He's based at Tipperary Station. And he says, as a member of the steering committee and a farmer and irrigator helping to set this policy, I'd like to commend the Northern Territory Government for doing this work and the policy they have released. We are currently experiencing growth in the agricultural sector in the Territory, and this policy will bring another level of confidence to all landholders wishing to develop their land for a range of different farming enterprises. There will be some self-interest groups, says Bruce, who will denounce this policy. However, the reality is a diverse range of stakeholders, including these groups, were invited to be on the steering committee. And the facts are that this policy sets limits which are very, very conservative in terms of actual wet season water extraction. This is a case of the water resources and wider NT government getting it right, says Bruce Conley in a statement to the Country Hour. You might have your own thoughts on this policy that's been unveiled today. It's been a long time coming. I think it was meant to come out before Christmas, but uh, you might remember the government thought it might change and get a new chief minister, which I think's perhaps moved some of these things back. But now it's out there. You can read it on the government's website and you can share your thoughts on our text line, which is 0487 1057. My name's Jason Clark from Humpty Doo Barramundi. I'm the fish production manager, Eddie, and you're listening to the country here. Still on the Territory Government, it introduced changes to the Livestock Act yesterday with the intention to expand biosecurity controls. Some of the proposed changes involve the introduction of penalties for those who breach a property's biosecurity plan and giving police the same powers as a livestock inspector in the event of an emergency animal disease control program. Here is the Territory's Minister for Agribusiness, Mark Monaghan, introducing that bill. Mr Speaker, in the main, the reforms outlined in this bill will aim to strengthen and enhance the biosecurity system capabilities. By legislating for the implementation of voluntary biosecurity management plans to mitigate biosecurity risks at the property, the farm gate level, amend section 27 of the Livestock Act 2008 
to mandate increased notice requirements for livestock owners to retrieve stray cattle or stray livestock from the neighbouring property, updating disease controls to align with modern biosecurity requirements, provide a more streamlined and efficient process for appointing NT police officers individually or appointment of all NT police officers to be inspectors of livestock. Amend the Trespass Act of 2023 to provide an additional circumstance of an aggravated offence, specifically for primary production places. This amendment is an addition to the existing basic trespass offence that already exists in the Act. To assist livestock owners to develop a biosecurity management plan for their property, the Department is developing a dedicated, easy-to-navigate biosecurity management webpage with a range of a toolbox resources to make the process as easy as possible. Further, grants have been provided to the Northern Territory Cattlemen's Association to partner in implementing the take-up of biosecurity management plans across the Territory's cattle industry. That is Mark Monaghan, the Minister for Agribusiness. The changes to the Livestock Act are expected to be debated during the parliamentary sittings next month. Hello, my name's Al from Humpty Dew Sunflowers, and you're listening to The Country Hour. Matt Brown with you this afternoon. Before 1.30, we will be speaking to Stephen Shue from Charles Darwin University. His team, along with the Department of Industry are going to spend the next three years taking a look at the Northern Territory's emerging cotton industry, trying to work out what its water needs are for dry land cropping, trying to find ways to help the industry. Uh, so we'll learn more about that in a moment. Speaking of water, a lot of it's coming out of the sky at the moment in the north. There's a tropical low in town. Let's go to the Bureau. Rebecca Patrick's there this afternoon. Uh, Beck, before we get the latest on the tropical low, tell us about some of the rainfall figures up to nine o'clock this morning. Yeah, unsurprisingly, the highest rainfall was at Groot Island with 120 or 119 uh, millimetres of rain to 9am, um, uh, with most of the rainfall probably just falling offshore in the Carpentaria district. Uh, we've had some moderate falls also around the um, the western parts of the top end. Um, Bamban Springs, 71 millimetres. Um, and, yeah, sort of around that Douglas Daly region, um, around 50 to 70 millimetres in a, a few locations there. Yeah, I'll, um, I'll just share a few more. The Roper River Elsie Homestead's recorded 40. Bullman's had 45 there on the central Arnhem Highway. Uh, Wangalara's recorded 42, and out in the Victoria River District, gee, they just keep catching that moisture. Uh, Bradshaw's recorded 54, Dashwood Crossings had 27, and Coolie Bar Cattle Station, 25 millimetres in the gauge. Now, Beck, this tropical low in the Gulf, tell us where it is and what it's doing. Yeah, so over the southwestern parts of the Gulf, uh, about 180 kilometres northeast of Baralula, at the moment, um, so yeah, that's why most of the, the rainfall is falling out to sea, um, but we are starting to see um, some impacts on the the eastern um, parts of the, the coast there near the Queensland border. Um, unfortunately, Telstra outage uh, around that Boralula area has meant that we don't have 
recent observations from there. Um, hopefully that will be fixed at some stage. Um, but in terms of its uh, expected forecast, um, fairly slow moving over the next uh, little while, but uh, from tomorrow expected to move back towards the southwest, uh, so towards the the um, southern coast of the Gulf of Carpentaria. Um, so probably making landfall um, uh, probably around tomorrow uh, probably afternoon at this stage um, and then tracking to the southwest through the Carpentaria district and the northern parts of the Barclay. Yeah, the current tracking map has this system been a little bit south of Elliot come Saturday evening. What sort of rainfall totals could it bring as it moves inland, Beck? Yeah, it does depend on where the centre tracks because um, we could be seeing rainfall around that 150 or possibly even more um, millimetres near the centre of the low. Um, more broadly uh, for um, for tomorrow around that eastern Carpentaria district area, um, probably 60 to 90 millimetres away from that centre. Um, but yeah, expecting those high falls uh, across the Barclay on Saturday as well, um, getting up to 150 millimetres near the centre, possibly higher, um, and that expected to move into the um, northern parts of the Tanami or the southern parts of the Gregory District on Sunday as well. Yeah, I've seen one model suggesting decent rainfall for Kaukarinji, you know, um, as this thing tracks west, which I don't think Kaukarinji needs any more rain at the moment. No, absolutely not. But, um, yeah, so we're keeping a close eye on that one. Um, so there could be some, some rises to to the Victoria River um, over the weekend. Um, we have just reissued our, our flood watch uh, to include um, parts of the Barclay, the Tanami and the upper Victoria River um, just uh, keeping in mind those that potential as that moves across. Okay. There's a, a number of warnings in place. Moderate flood warning for the Waterhouse River. Minor flood warning for Catherine at Nimbrook Centre. Flood watch for parts of northwest and Carpentaria coastal rivers. And a severe weather warning in place for Carpentaria and Barclay districts. Have we covered it all, Beck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, so just touching on that severe weather warning, mm. um, we could have some damaging wind gusts develop outside of that um, cyclone warning. So that's why that has been issued. Uh, just also worth mentioning that we could have some damaging wind gusts just with thunderstorms over the Gregory District today as today, well. right. Yeah. Okay, then. <clears throat> Plenty happening. Thanks so much for your time, Beck. Appreciate it. No worries. Thanks, Matt. That's Rebecca Patrick there at the Weather Bureau. It's 11 past one and you are tuned into the Country Hour. There's a lot of rubbish on Facebook these days. Truly is. But every now and then you see something that just makes your day. And I've had that experience today when all of a sudden I was scrolling through and the good folks at ABC Darwin have posted a song, an original song, and it's been inspired by all of the text messages that were coming in from you, the audience, who were sharing concerns and frustrations about people driving in the wet season 
and not using their headlights. We've had a few texts like that here at the country. Our people just have had enough of people driving around in these stormy conditions with no lights on. And so here it is, Connor Cartwright from ABC Darwin with the headlight song. When it's raining on the bomb, put your bloody headlights on. If you don't fancy being dead, put those headlights on instead. Are you insane? Use your brain, turn your lights on in the rain. Don't be a dick, headlights on quick. Turn your lights on in the rain. Don't be a dill, no lights could kill. Turn your lights on in the rain. If you're getting wet, turn them on. Turn your lights on in the rain. It's a hit. It's a it's a hit. G'day, I'm James Quilty. I work at the Australian Centre for International Agricultural Research and you're listening to The Country Hour. And the film clip for it is solid. Go and check it out via the ABC Darwin Facebook page. I see Des at the Little Roper Stock Camps just posted. 37 millimetres of rain and the creek's up to 800 millimetres. Just outside of Matarenka there. It is wet, wet, wet. The next few days could be anything, couldn't they? It's 13 past one. Now, early results from yesterday's Indonesian election suggest Prabowo Subianto will be the country's next president. More than 95% of the vote has been counted in an unofficial quick count tally, showing the 72-year-old is set to become Indonesia's oldest leader. He has claimed victory. Looks like he's won in a landslide. Now, Australian farmers and cattle producers who trade with Indonesia, they're watching all of this closely with a number of commodities like live cattle, box beef and table grapes still waiting for Indonesia to issue import permits for 2024. Yesterday, if you missed it, we had a chat to Dr. Ross Ainsworth, who's a former boss of the NT Livestock Exporters Association. He's currently in Bali. And he felt that even though the election now has been done and dusted, it still could take another month of waiting for these permits to be signed. These things are managed by senior bureaucrats and senior bureaucrats do absolutely nothing during the election cycle. It should have been done well before the election sort of period, but and, and the reasons for that are unclear Although the only thing that I could say in relation to the cattle issues is that it related to all permits, you know, uh, permits for bringing in apples and uh, sheep meat and uh, everything. It wasn't just cattle. So it, it sort of don't take it personally. It, it, you were just in the list with all the rest of it that was being held up for reasons that you and I will never understand. However... Once, once the, uh, the first thing that happens once there's a new president is all the uh, top positions, both political and bureaucratic, are all vacated and all reappointed according to the new boss. In, in, uh, once once Prabowo is in the chair, every senior bureaucrat will be gone. You know, sort of they're all heads of departments uh, Director General's all gone and his men will be and women will be in place. So I suspect at that time permits will free up. So how long could that process take? Yeah, look, uh, it's, it takes a while to kick out the old and, and bring it because the old ones will just be sitting there uh, 
um, you know, playing cards because they cannot do anything. So it might take a month. Uh, that, all they'll need is a signature. They'll have the permit written out and and not signed. So when the when the right person sits down in his chair, he will he will be able to get it moving very quickly should they decide to. And I suspect, you know, it might be a month, might be a bit longer. You see, the other thing that's going on is Ramadan and uh, I'm not sure of the actual dates, but Ramadan and uh, LeBaron are relatively early in the year and there would be a danger of running out of uh, protein uh, if they don't get them moving. So, and and that would be a far more serious uh, outcome for the government. If the government runs out of, allows the food to run out, then they'll burn the place down. So, you, you that that won't happen. So somehow they'll get it done, but it might it might dither around for a for another month. Dr. Ross Ainsworth speaking to us yesterday. He. He's living in Bali at the moment. He's the former boss of the NT Livestock Exporters Association. He's a vet. And yesterday he was telling us that his local barber and everyone he was bumping into were tipping Prabowo to win that election. And looks like they're all on the money. He has claimed victory. Looks like he's won in a landslide. If you missed our conversation with Dr. Ross yesterday, you can catch that full interview up on our website right now. If you search for NT Country Hour, it is 17 past one. Researchers at Charles Darwin Uni are teaming up with the Territory's Department of Industry to investigate the water needs of the NT's emerging cotton industry. The Territory is growing around 15,000 hectares of cotton this year, and the vast majority of that is relying purely on water that comes out of the sky. There's no irrigation involved. It's a type of farming that can be challenging, depending on what the weather does. So how can researchers help? I spoke to Stephen Shu from Charles Darwin University about this research and what it's hoping to achieve. Uh, the aim of this research is to understand the water use of cotton in the Northern Territory, a rain-fed cropping system. Uh, this rain-fed cropping system is very different from those in the South where most of cotton are well irrigated. And in Northern Territory, we have main issue is that the water allocation is limited, but we have a good rain season with a lot of rain. So the cotton grown here are mainly rely on the rain fed uh, system, or we call the dry land. So basically there's uh, no irrigation or very limited amount of irrigation. So uh, our focus is on this system, which is relatively new for the cotton industry here in Australia. So working out the water needs for crops that are relying purely on what falls out of the sky during the wet season. Yeah, largely like that, yeah. because it's uh, too expensive to make the bore and it is, there's water allocation problems. Uh, many growers couldn't get additional water allocation to irrigate their crop. So uh, it's a pretty good, important to understand the water use pattern of the cotton across the whole season, especially in the uh, tropical environment, and also getting some understanding about the soil water storage, how long it can support the cotton after the rain stopped, what's the impact on the uh, late season growth of the crop, and also the, 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 the cotton uh, set. Cotton growers in the Territory have been 
growing these dryland crops for quite a few years now. How can this research actually help them in a practical way? Uh, we hopefully to getting all these uh, understanding incorporate into a model. Uh, ideally, the model will be able to help the cotton growers to uh, get a good estimation of the yield based on the situation of the precipitation and the climate over the season. So uh, ideally, uh, you update the climate data over the time and the model updates the uh, yield um, prediction over the season. Right, so and, it won't, so it won't yeah. help them to grow better crops, it'll just give them a much better idea on what sort of yield they might be sitting on towards the back end. And I think uh, that's that's one aspect. The other aspect is to getting a good understanding of how the cotton cope with that and uh, what's the major limitation, which varieties are especially good in such environment. For example, some may have better water use efficiency. That's not so useful when you are getting uh, irrigation. But if it's uh, being rain-fed, these varieties may be able to be used. Uh, and they are more resilient and uh, to 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 the to the variation of precipitation. Uh, I've got a question from a cotton grower here mm-hmm. for you, Stephen. Uh, the question is: How will the data collected be able to inform farmers when the weather bureau can't predict the wet season with any accuracy? Yeah, I think the uh, the the key thing is to working out one strategy. So uh, to diversify the cropping model. For example, if you just uh, plant the seeds as one batch, it means during a bat, that rain is going to happen in the next few weeks. Uh, so the seeds can germinate smoothly. But we we'll wonder whether we can make out a strategy on that. So probably be uh, seed uh, sowing tr- uh, one third of the seeds at this time, another one third of the seeds another time. And uh, this will be able to help coping with the uh, uh, the precipitation variation, and also diversify the risk distribution. Okay. And I don't know about you, I, I've heard a few stories this year already of, of cotton having to be replanted. Yeah, 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 yeah. I heard from the farmers as well. So some of them planted in December, and then getting the problem, quite a few of them died, and they have to replant that. And uh, another thing is that it's possible to finally getting a recommendation is that uh, well, we do need some deficit irrigation, which probably doesn't really need to use too much water, but it will help farm tremendously. For example, like a little bit deficit irrigation after you're planting, because at that time the plant haven't been growing, so it doesn't really need so much water. Mm. But it's very important to assure the germination and establishment of the crops and help them to pass the period between sowing and the real rain comes in. Well, this will be taking place over the next three years, so a lot of work to be done. Uh, Look forward to seeing the results. Thanks for your time on the Country Hour. No worries. Thank you very much. Stephen Shu, Professor of Tropical Broadacre Cropping Systems at Charles Darwin University. And on the topic of water, if you missed the start of today's Country Hour... We were taking a look at the Northern Territory Government's brand new surface water intake wet season flows policy, the policy that will dictate how much water industry can take from Territory Rivers during the wet season. We spoke to Amy Dysart. Here's her explanation of the policy. So this policy 
gives us a good mechanism to allow water to be taken out during the wet season um, and stored for use during the dry season. What we've done is we have reduced that amount of water from 20% of the water down to 5% of the water. So it just allows us with this new area of development that we haven't tucked in before, we started a conservative place and just allow, you know, a small portion. And that gives us the opportunity to track and manage and know what the impacts of taking that water out will be. Yep, the old 80-20 rule in the wet season is gone, replaced with this 95-5 policy. If you missed that interview, it'll be up on our podcast later today. Now... We normally don't take you to the Black Ore cattle sale on a Thursday, but we're sharing the results with you today because there was a big run of Territory cattle. Sam Hart has the details. Good afternoon. Good falls of local rain saw numbers reduced to 3,000 head for the first Black Ore sale for 2024. Some good pens of local prime cattle were on offer with all the usual processes operating. Two large consignments of steers and heifers from the Northern Territory dominated yearling sales, while most heavy feeders were drawn locally. Lightweight restocker Sea Muscle Steers, 200 to 280 kilos, started strong with sales to 450.2 to average 435 cents, while a large run of planter types, 280 to 330 kilos, averaged 309. Heavy feeder steers sold to strong demand, selling to 358.2, averaging 338, and heavy feeder heifers topped at 272.2 to average 250 cents. Heavy ground steers to the processor sold to 298.2 to average 281 and prime heifers made to 278. Medium cows sold to 232.2 averaging 224. Heavy prime cows over 520 kilos sold to 245 cents to average 237 and heavy bulls sold to 264 cents. Best of the cows and calves made to $1,550 a unit. This has been Sam Huff, the National Livestock Reporting Service. Thank you for that, Sam. So there you go, Territory Cattle getting amongst the mix there at Blackhall. That's all we've got time for on today's Country Hour. Keep it rural.